Hello, everyone. This is Amy Zirkel, Interim CEO of ETA, and you're listening to Transaction Trending, the official podcast of ETA. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, a really fascinating discussion with a young leader who has already made an impressive mark on the industry, Derek Webster, CEO of CardFlight. Derek joined me to talk about his journey founding and building the CardFlight business. Our conversation was a how I built this look at his motivations, the challenges, and the successes in payments entrepreneurship. But our conversation covered a myriad of relevant and fascinating topics, including software and CardFlight's different perspective on the ISV market, and where association membership, volunteer leadership, and professional development meets growing a payments business. So let's take a listen. So Derek, uh, CardFlight has been a, a longtime supporter of ETA, and we have truly loved watching your company grow and, and grow with us as an association. So it, let's start this podcast off talking a little bit about your career, your professional development, and, and kind of how that feeds into the, the vision that you had for CardFlight and the journey to where you are today. Can we start with you and just share a little bit about your career evolution, beginnings, and, and kind of the path that took that you went on to arrive at card flight yeah thanks amy and I'm, I'm happy to be here today um so it i've actually spent basically my entire career in payments in one way or another although how i ended up in payments was, was quite accidental so i uh i did my undergrad at georgetown and i was a, a finance major in school although i've always been a, a bit technology focused and actually was kind of a self-taught coder so i made websites for people you know for beer money out of my dorm room but um <laughs> was officially a finance major and on the finance track. And so um, I was interviewing for an internship uh, while I was an undergrad at E-Trade. And in the final round of interviews, they had me interview with the head of the wholesale mortgage trading desk and the head of the retail credit card issuing group. And, um, you know, their internship program, you'd get placed in a, a specific kind of line of business. And so these were the two potential places they had, you know, looked to slot me in. And, and both of the, the, you know, department heads enjoyed meeting me and, and wanted to hire me and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, the way I got into payments was really random and that the head of the, the card issuing group um, basically just pushed harder to hire me. And as I later found out, it had nothing to do with me or at least my, you know, skills for the job. And it was because um, that, that guy had a boat on order, and I had told him I was on the sailing team in college. And so he, he rationalized that, you know, even if I ended up being a horrible intern and, and was a total dud, he could at least make me wash his boat. So um, so my, my sailing skills is somehow how I ended up in the, uh, in the payments industry. But um, it's been a fun evolution from there. I spent three years at E-Trade and eventually got to run product development, product marketing for their credit card issuing business, which is kind of the – the part of my career where I got exposed to, you know, a lot of aspects of payments um, there. And um, from there, I went to Stanford Business School, got my MBA, and then coming out of uh, graduate school, joined the management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. And so as I progressed there in my career, you know, and became more specialized, um, I ended up as an engagement manager and in their retail banking and credit card practice. And so I was one of the, the engagement managers that would run strategy projects for for any of the payments clients we had. And so, um, 
you know, did a few years as a, a management consultant, and, and I loved the analytical challenge and also kind of just the sheer magnitude of the problems we were tasked to solve there. But uh, ultimately got a little little tired of, of having my job be to make a lot of PowerPoint slides and just wanted to do something a little more hands-on. So I uh, left the corporate world in 2011 and, and founded a predecessor company to Cardflight called Local Bonus. And uh, yeah, it was focused on on the loyalty space for SMBs. And, you know, long story short, we built some interesting technology there, but it was a, a commercial flop. And um, the, the good news that came out of that, though, is that's actually the same company that's now Cardflight. So, you know, with the support of our investors, we pivoted into, into what's now Cardflight in 2013 and um, kind of somewhat had accidentally gotten into that space, but um, obviously have, have been able to build a great business ever since. Wow, that's it's fascinating too that you kind of acknowledge the the slip up that occurred in your first business and utilized it in an effective way to to build a new business. So let's let's talk a little bit about Cardflight's early days. What what were the unique challenges that you faced uh, as you as you started down this path of building uh, a business in the payment space and the unique value proposition that you were seeking to fulfill? Yeah, and, and I wish I could say I was a, a total visionary and you know saw the company that we would become you know way back then. But you know we we certainly learned a lot as we've grown and and you know been able to build a stronger and stronger company. But you know the original genesis that actually got us into this was was still in the loyalty program days of trying to build an, an enrollment kiosk for an iPad. So you know we were trying to integrate with a MagStripe reader. You know this was 2013, so we we're trying to integrate with a MagStripe reader that could be used for kind of doing a registered card enrollment for a loyalty program. And uh, turned into, as we started researching, we realized this was way too complicated. And the vendors there were not particularly easy to work with, and it was just so much more complicated than it needed to be. And so kind of that discovery turned into us making that MagStripe reader integration work easier for other software developers and kind of adding a payment gateway component into that. So in in 2013, when we kind of, you know, scrapped local bonus and pivoted to Cardflight, we were purely a software development kit for app developers trying to do card present, you know, in their own native mobile apps. And this was, that was a pretty wild west time back in 2013. I mean, I think people take mobile devices and stuff for granted. I mean, I just remember some of the early days, Stripe was actually one of our early partners and, and I, I was in their office back in 2013. And stayed for lunch and, you know, they were still small enough then that there was, I don't know, maybe 30, 35 employees in their office and they could have everyone sit down at one really long table and have lunch together in the entire company and any guests like us that were in the office. And obviously they've built a, a, a pretty large business since then as well. Um, and, you know, within a year or two of going in that direction, you know, we started having a lot of the ISOs and merchant acquirers reach out to us and, and they were telling us they wanted our software, but not necessarily our software development kit. So they weren't trying to build apps themselves. They were trying to offer, you know, application software to their small business customers. But, you know, they, they effectively were looking for us to offer software uh, that, that was fully, you know, functional and worked on its own, not, you know, APIs and software development kits. And so, you know, they were asking us for a solution they could resell, not a solution they could integrate. And the more we started to really understand that market, the more we realized it was just a large and formidable one and one we could bring a lot of value to. And so we built the Swipe Simple product on top of our developer infrastructure and launched Swipe Simple in 2014. And, you know, that's become our flagship product. It makes up 90 plus percent of our revenue. It serves 50,000 small business customers. You know, we're moving around billions of dollars a year of, of other people's money. 
Um, and it's sold by 80 different, you know, merchant acquirer and ISO distributors, including, you know, 10 of the top 30 merchant acquirers in the U.S. and dozens of different ETA member companies. But I, I could not have told you we were going to go do all that uh, when I first set down this path. So, um, but it's been a, a fun journey and, you know, excited to see where we go from here. Oh, without, without question. So you really started at the, at the focusing and continue to focus on this, the small merchant space. Any other, not to give away anything proprietary, confidential to your business plans, but other, other market opportunities that you're exploring? Yeah. So, I mean, we were, we were originally focused on that mobile point of sale or dongle or on the go or bring your own device payments, you know, iPhones and Android smartphones and, and that kind of stuff. And that, you know, that remains our bread and butter and, and something that, you know, we're pretty confident we're best in, in the market at, um, especially, you know, for the, the merchant acquire and ISO channel. And, um, you know, what started happening a few years ago as we started to build this really, you know, formidable business is, our customers and our distribution partners, you know, these merchant acquirers and ISOs, they would say things like, you know, Cardslate, we love you. You know, I wish all my other suppliers could be like you, or, you know, I wish your Swipe Simple software could serve these kind of merchants, not only the mobile merchants and stuff like that. And so, you know, as we started listening to that feedback from our customers and kind of the, the encouragement from them, you know, we realized that we, we already had very dominant market share in the segments we were in, meaning kind of that on-the-go merchant. Um, but our resellers, the merchant acquirers, you know, they sign up thousands and thousands of small businesses every month and, and serve a lot of different types of small businesses with a lot of different categories of products. And so, you know, payment terminals and gateways and so on and so forth. And so, you know, for the past couple of years and certainly for the next few, our our big focus is expanding the ways that we can help small business owners accept payments. And so we kind of, you know, our big messaging now is is our Swipe Simple product is, you know, on the go in your store or at your computer. And, you know, we've added a ton of capabilities to do that. And really, you know, our goal is whatever way a small business owner wants to take a payment from their customers, we want there to be a swipe simple solution for, you know, that can be sold and supported by the the merchant acquirer community. Mm -hmm. Wow. So let's shift a little bit. Um, I've had the, the, the pleasure and the thrill to be in your office space, in your growing office space, because you were in smaller space, and now you're in bigger space. And what I was struck by, Derek, in both, uh, both locations, you really embrace a very, a very open model. Um, you sit in the middle of, of the space along with your, your organization. You're a very accessible CEO. You're, you're part of the gang. Can you share a little bit about the leadership principles that you embrace as as the leader of Card Flight and how maybe that affects the, the the culture of your organization and the energy and the innovation and all the the magnificence of Card Flight? Yeah, thank you, Amy. It's been it's been a fun journey, and I mean, as Card Flight grows and grows, this isn't you know the Derek show. It's the team we've been able to build and lead. And it's, you know, we have amazing team members at Card Flight that make it all possible, and so we're. You know, we take who is on our team and how we work together as a team very seriously and, you know, certainly win and lose with a team. There's not, you know, there's there's a lot of competitive people at Card Flight, but, you know, everyone knows that we win and lose as a team and, it's, you know, not a lot of individual egos. Um, we don't have a lot of patience for that. But, you know, I haven't, I'm, I'm at the, the stage of my career, I haven't yet, you know, sat down and tried to write a book or reflect, but, you know, as you kind of ask, or, you know, a couple things come top of mind. I'll, I'll kind of add some thoughts, although I'm sure this isn't an exhaustive list, but I think, you know, three big lessons I've learned or things that I really try to focus on, you know, guiding card flight. One is staying focused on customers and their needs. 
you know, another is to execute well, and, and the final one is to play the long game. And so, you know, when I say stay focused on customers and their needs, I mean, I think one of the big mistakes I made in the local bonus period of my career was being so in love with my solution that I didn't, um, I didn't take time to really understand whether or not we were truly solving real and compelling needs of our customers. And so I kind of now just assume whatever brilliant solution I have could easily be wrong. And I just ruthlessly test that with customers. And I think, you know, how that's led through to, to our leadership and kind of how we run CardFlight is, um, you know, we're not distracted by competitors or having the longest list of features. We're we're just focused on truly and deeply understanding what our customers need and, and and solving for those better than anyone else. And if you do that really well, you know, success kind of just follows from there. And so we've got a lot of humility to test everything with our customers and it's you know, that's super important for making smart decisions. And then you, know, you can make smart decisions, but you got to execute well. And I just, I'm amazed that there's just such a disconnect. I don't know if it's this industry or just business in general, but, you know, the promises of sales and marketing campaigns versus the actual effectiveness of the thing being sold. And I think like literally just doing and delivering what you say you will probably like puts you in the top quartile. Literally, if all you do is follow through on your promises, you're probably like better than 75% of the people out there. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's comical, but it's, you know, it is what it is. And so that's, we take, you know, execution really, really seriously at card flight and, and, you know, maintaining quality in everything we do and how we treat people and how we deliver on our promises. And so we're, you know, we're deliberate about what we promise to others. We don't promise everything to anyone, you know, but when we do make promises to people, we own them and we expect to be held accountable for delivering on them. And we push ourselves and each other, to deliver on that. Um, and that, you know, that allows us to play the long game. So, you know, there's, there's so many suppliers out there that succumb to short-term thinking that, you know, it kind of makes them penny wise and pound foolish. And, you know, we're a private company and that means we don't have to report earnings quarterly. And, you know, we've got an amazing board of directors that are, you know, seasoned operators that are great mentors for me. And, you know, they're fully aligned with our long-term vision. And so it means we can do things that, involve a ton of upfront investment now if we're confident that it'll put us where we want to be for the long haul. So we don't have to, we don't have to fall prey to short-term thinking and we can, you know, play the long game. That's wonderful. I, I, I know you'll agree part of playing the long game in this industry is the, is the pace of innovation, the challenges or opportunities presented by, by new technologies, the latest and greatest kind of coming up in the space. What, where do you see the payments industry going in the next five years? That that has to be kind of on your radar as you and your company look to, you know, meet the next level of customer demand, anticipate the 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 next, you know, the next card flight product. And I'm I'm going to add a little piece to that, which is all of the talk and the focus. And and we within ETA have been spending a lot of time looking at what is growing in the software space, in particular, the integrated software vendors and the ever-expanding presence they have in the payments ecosystem. So can you kind of share a little bit, on the, on the one hand, sort of how you see the industry evolution and, and the next five years, and, and then also talk a, a bit about the ISV presence in the ecosystem and, and what Card Flight's relationship is with that segment? Yeah, so I mean, the next five years, the rate of change in this industry is so fast that uh, I, I struggle to make forecasts more than a year or two out. But um, you know, in, in all seriousness, I mean, now that that Card Flight is a larger and more mature company, I do I do enjoy being able to think about and plan for things over the long haul. 
I mean, in, in the early days, you're kind of, you know, payroll to payroll and trying, you know, you're worried if you're going to run out of cash in a month or two or whatever. And, you know, we're very fortunate that that's not the case now. And, you know, that it's, there's no risk to us as a going concern. The question is, you know, how big can this be, you know, as we continue to grow and scale the business? I mean, we're obviously pretty confident based on the wins we've had thus far. So, you know, as I do look in the, the future and, and try to think forward. So, I mean, you talked about ISVs. So one thing that's interesting, we actually think of ourselves as more horizontally focused than vertically focused. And what I mean by that is, you know, look, we've added a lot of capabilities that serve new industries. We've added invoicing. We've added card on file, you know, subscription, recurring features for, you know, businesses that, you know, have repeat customers. And and we just rolled out a payment terminal product um, in general availability here uh, earlier this month. And so, you know, we've, we've certainly added capabilities that serve new industries that we haven't served previously. But really, you know, we, we see ourselves as focused on that 1 to 10 or 1 to 20 employee business. And so the true small business, and that's, and we even say small business, we, we rarely even say SMBs because, you know, unless you think a, a 10 employee business is medium sized, um, you know, it's really the, the micro and the small business segment. And, you know, there's, Look, there's 5 million card accepting merchants in the U.S. today, and, and, and what I like to say is that we are laser focused on the, the bottom 4 million of those, meaning, you know, that broad base of the business that, you know, different merchants have different ways they use our product, but we're not, we're not having to create verticalized software for each market. And so, you know, an analogy I'd use here is let's just pick a vertical like plumbing, okay? So, you know, if, if you have a 50-truck plumbing business, you're probably going to get your software from an ISV and you're going to have an ISV who's built some kind of cloud-based solution that is meets all of your needs of managing your 50 truck plumbing business and dispatches and work orders and invoicing and mileage tracking. There's probably a bunch of things that your 50 truck plumbing business has that someone focused on your vertical is going to meet your needs best. And and that ISV is probably going to integrate payments and probably try to offer you an integrated payments product. Um, you know, we're not focused on that segment. I mean, there's there's plenty of good solutions. I'm not saying those are bad businesses. I'm just saying it's not our focus. Um, you know, but imagine a father-son plumbing business that might have one or two trucks. Well, that's where our Swipe Simple product comes in. And we have a product that's simple and effective and easy and just works. And for that father-son business, they probably don't need something vertically focused or more expensive or more proprietary or all their bells and whistles. They just want a simple solution. And so I think, you know, we're we're actually a little contrarian on this whole ISV trend. I mean, don't get me wrong, for you know, businesses doing a million, two million, five million a year of revenue, I do think they're gonna get verticalized with ISVs. But for a business doing a couple hundred thousand dollars a year of revenue, you know, we do think actually horizontal, just simple, effective solutions are going to win. And that within that, distribution channels matter. I mean, I know that, you know, merchant acquirers and financial institutions and ISOs and agents, you know, maybe they're, you know, out of vogue right now, but we love them and we love making them more successful. I mean, those, those are our customers and we use them to serve the small business owners. And I think, you know, those, those acquirers and FIs and ISOs and agents, I mean, they have some amazing capabilities around distribution and getting to the customer and serving the customer well and placing the customer with the right solution. And we don't think those channels go away. Um, we we are focused on enabling them with great products so that our products and, and their distribution, you know, with other distinct advantages they bring to the table, you know, that last mile, so to speak, they can 
they can now combine our products with their, you know, distribution and sales and support and other, you know, range of solutions. And that, we do think that can drive a superior value proposition to the merchant. And so, you know, we're, we're long on traditional distribution channels. We, we think that they need help from people like CardFlight to manage in a very fast moving software enabled world that we're in. But, you know, we think that can be a killer combination of, of our, you know, our solutions and our customers' distribution channels. It's, it's, it's fascinating because you're talking, obviously, as a, as a leader of, a, of an innovative company. And, and also, we as an association are, are truly honored, Derek, that you are a volunteer leader uh, in ETA as, in serving on our, our board of directors and really uh, sitting there as, as, as you as CardFlight, but really representing the next generation of innovators within our, within our membership. So can you share a little bit of your perspective on, on what other, other young payment leaders such as yourself and entrepreneurs should know about, about the payments industry and, and dare I say a little bit about ETA? Because you've been successful in, in working with ETA to, to contribute to the association, to help lead the association, but to also derive benefits for your company. So any wisdom you can offer on that front? Yeah, I mean, we we at Cardify just genuinely appreciate the role of ETA and just the role of a trade association more generally in bringing you know our industry together. So, you know, there's there's constituent groups within our industry that maybe they're competitors or they overlap or whatever. And but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of issues that affect all of us and require you know industry wide action. And I think ETA is a great forum for that. And whether that's you know commercially with events like Transact that bring the industry together to do more business and you know we can meet with our customers and prospects and all that, or even you know just I think we're grateful for things that ETA does to advocate on issues that affect our industry and. You know, we're, we don't have a government affairs office. I wouldn't say that we're politically active as a company, but, you know, working with Scott Talbot and his team, it's been, you know, amazing to see. I mean, specifically, you know, we've been affected by some of the tariff actions lately because we do, you know, manufacture some hardware, you know, outside the U.S. And it's been amazing to just see, you know, our ability as an organization, in, in ETA being an organization, to organize the industry and to influence public policy there. So that's something, you know, we're super grateful for. Um, you know, in terms of, of, you know, advice for younger leaders or entrepreneurs, I mean, two thoughts. I think one is just start by genuinely wanting to help and the rest will flow from there. I mean, I'm amazed that just when you volunteer proactively, how many doors get opened if you just show up and say you're willing to do the work and willing to lend a hand and, and willing to follow through. I mean, I years ago joined ETA's mobile payments committee. You know, I think a few years later, I ended up chairing that committee. And yes, you, you did. Know, that led a couple of years ago to a non, <laughs> non-voting presidential advisor seat. And I got to work closely with you, Amy, in that experience. Yeah. You know, that. That led to, you know, having presidential advisory seat on the board, you know, a couple of years ago and, and got elected to a full board seat here now. And so it's been, you know, it wasn't that I ever set out to do that, I think, much like my entrepreneurial path, but kind of, you know, one thing leads to another and, you know, keep helping. And we're, we're so grateful for ETA's role that, you know, it's not only me, but I mean, we have others in our organization that serve on committees or chair committees. Um, you know, outside of ETA, I'd say, I mean, other advice would just be don't underestimate the importance or value of partnerships. I think, you know, we're, we're venture capital backed and that, that puts us in a, a different echo chamber that has its pros and cons and all that. I mean, you know, we're, we're happy it's allowed us to, to make some good long-term investments and have capital to do it, to grow faster than otherwise. But I think in the traditional VC ecosystem, there's this bias towards 
raising as much capital as possible and trying to spend it as fast as possible to own and dominate a market. And I think, you know, there's a place for that model, but it's, it's not the only way. I mean, you know, we've, we're proud to have built a business using channel partnerships and, and partnerships are a lot of work. I mean, you've got to, you have to make sure your counterparty's needs are being met and your needs are being met, which is, you know, more things to solve for than just looking out for yourself. But, um, you know, it's a delicate balance and takes a lot of work, but when it's dialed in, it, it can get magical. And, you know, I think the analogy we use is, is you know, we get we get compared to Square a lot just because of kind of that similar kind of modern software-centric DNA and serving small business customers. And, and obviously, I have a ton of respect for what they've done, but, you know, I, I kind of the analogy I use is to think of iPhone and Android. And, you know, Apple has pursued a strategy of trying to own and control every part of the offering, and, and Google's chosen a partnership strategy, and they give control of certain elements to their partners, and they partner with multiple people, not just exclusive, you know, relationships. And I think, you know, in that analogy, Square is like Apple, and, and we're like Google, and it's not to say one's better or worse. I mean, each strategy has its own pros and cons. I think you can you can build a successful business with both, but you, you have to own your strategy and make sure your decisions and execution are consistent with it. And, you know, I think we're, we're proud of the partner path. That's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. So Derek, will you indulge us for a moment in, in a little, a little, little thing we have here at transaction trending called parting perspective. Um, um, just some three little quick questions that will allow our listeners to get a, a, know you a little bit better beyond what we've discussed here today. So um, I hope you'll indulge us. Absolutely. Okay. So with that, what was your first job? It doesn't have to be in payments. You could, you could say it was a, a, a yeah. sailboat washer or you know, <laughs> selling lemonade or whatever. <laughs> um, so when I was in high school, I, uh, I worked for the Gallup poll, actually conducting <gasps> surveys oh, wow. over the phone. So I don't, I don't know if that job is still around, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, calling people probably while they're at the dinner table and trying to get them to complete a survey. Oh my gosh. Who knew? Who knew? Um, okay. What was the last thing you bought with cash? Uh, so I don't buy a lot of things with cash anymore, but um, I have a five month old kid at home. And so uh, my wife and I had a date night last week and we paid the, the babysitter with cash. Well, she did. The, the babysitter didn't have like a, a dongle or, or a Venmo or anything. Yeah, exactly. She, the, the babysitter did not accept uh, quite simple. Although, uh, she should have. We've got 80 different uh, partners we could have referred her to. Right, uh, right. a sure. business opportunity right there. Um, and finally, and you've, exactly. you've, you've, you've shared with us a lot, but, but any other sort of the best advice you've ever received, that, that gem, that jewel that you always, always kind of comes to the front of mind for you, top of mind for you um, at, a, at a point of decision that's meaningful for you? Yeah, and I don't know if this is the best, but this is this was great advice I received. And you know, when I was entering business school, I'd, I'd met some older alumni um, at Stanford, and they they told me to take every organizational behavior class possible. And I I didn't fully understand it at the time, but you know, now that I'm more than a decade out of business school and you know, leading a large and growing company, I, I really do appreciate why it was such good advice. And that's you know. The ability to lead and manage a team in an organization is is so challenging, but it is it's quite frankly it's more important than any of the functional skills you learn in most you know traditional MBA classes. It's not can you build a spreadsheet? It's not can you read a balance sheet? I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I have to do those things, and being able to do them well is an important part of being a CEO. But it's you know building, leading, and managing an organization you know is the key to being a successful leader, and so. 
Um, I'm glad earlier in my career I was told to take every one of those, you know, soft classes, so to speak, around organizational behavior um, that were available. And I, I did, and it, it, you know, gave me a lot of skills that have helped form, you know, how I approach card flight as a leader. Well, and, and extraordinarily valuable skills, because as you, as you mentioned earlier in our discussion, you've got an amazing team, um, uh, just a stellar group of professionals, and you all are just... You work so well together. It is, it's fascinating to witness when you're there in the office, and uh, the energy and excitement is infectious and contagious, and that's a testament to, to you and the amazing team you've built and uh, the exciting new products and solutions yet to come to market. So Derek Webster, CEO of CardFlight, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Amy. It was uh, fun being with you here today, and thank you, you and the entire ETA, for everything you do for our industry. Thank you. Thanks again so very much to Derek Webster, CEO of CardFlight, for joining me on Transaction Trending. We've got more great episodes coming up, and you won't want to miss them. Please subscribe to Transaction Trending on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud to stream new episodes twice a month. Well, summer is in full swing, but it is not too early to start planning your fall with ETA. We've got great events coming up, including our annual fly-in on Capitol Hill and our FinTech Policy Forum, happening September 11th and September 12th. These two events give payments executives a chance to get directly involved with ETA's work in public policy advocacy that supports and grows our industry. So visit www.electran.org for more information. And you won't want to miss ETA's Strategic Leadership Forum, September 25th to the 27th in the beautiful Boca Raton Resort and Club, lovely South Florida. Created especially for top-tier payments industry leaders and innovators, ETA's SLF is a jewel and customized to provide optimal experiences for new relationships, new thinking, and consideration of new strategies. Veterans will take the stage and space with industry's new entrepreneurs, offering uh, their keen observations in what we know is an engaging Oceanside setting where exclusivity and expectations combine to bring your business forward. Visit www.etaslf.com to register. And for ETA, I'm Amy Zirkel. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Transaction Trending, a podcast powered by the Electronic Transactions Association. ETA is the leading trade association for the payments industry, representing over 500 payments technology companies worldwide. This episode was produced by Laura Hubbard and Patrick Nolan. It was recorded, edited, and mixed by Patrick Nolan. For more information on the Electronic Transactions Association, visit electran.org.